Our second reading is from Matthew chapter 4, which is page 936 in the Church Bibles. And Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he returned to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake near the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way to the sea along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all those who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain and the demon-possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Morning, everyone. Better late than never, they say. Maybe. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for all things you have given to us. We pray that as we turn to your word, you would help us, help us to understand, encourage us, strengthen us, uh, give us new things, help us trigger old things and memories which we need to recall, bring to us uh, what we you need to say and keep me from error, we pray in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Matthew is still in the process of introducing Jesus. That really goes until verse 17. And actually, that's where our sermon stops today. I had every intention of going up to 25, but uh, I thought you didn't want to be here that long. So uh, I, I chopped it out, sorry. Um, <clears throat> he's introducing Jesus, and as we've said, he's the Messiah, the son of Abraham, the son of David, the son of God. Huge claims. And it's what we call... In uh, theological circles, you know, they love these sort of words, typology going on, typology, T-Y-P-O-L-O-G-Y. Sometimes the scriptures use it and Matthew is someone who does. One of the typologies he uses it is Jesus looks like and acts like Israel. And that's continued here in chapter 4. We saw in Exodus chapter 4, Verse 22, Israel was called God's firstborn son. Here, God's real son, Jesus, is in operation. That's that typology idea, the seeing of in that person the figure. And it's not the only one that's used here. He is full of the spirit, led into the wilderness. And at the same place, we remembered, where Israel crossed the Jordan when it first came into the Promised Land in Deuteronomy chapter 8. The 40-year march in the desert was a testing of Israel as, as God's son. And so the 40 days of Jesus here being tempted or involved in his testing, as I would like to call it, reminds us of that comparison of the 40 years but I actually think more likely, although the 40 is a great echo, you can't help but hear it and see it and remember it, perhaps it's actually related to two other events. Moses at Sinai, if you look in Exodus 34, Deuteronomy 9, 9 verse 9 and 18, you'll find Moses at Sinai when he received the Ten Commandments and all the, the covenant, he was there for 40 days and 40 nights. Similarly, there is another episode, Elijah on his way to Sinai, 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 8. The first event, as we said, is the covenant. The second event is one that is actually, I always think it's one of my pet hobbies and hates, is totally misunderstood. Elijah has had enough, you might remember. You remember Mount Carmel? Remember Mount Carmel? Everyone loves Mount Carmel. If you don't love Mount Carmel, you should. It's one of the best stories in the Bible. It's fantastic. I love that story. Jesus, uh, Elijah on Mount Carmel, and you know that. I'm not telling you about it. Elijah is finished there, and right after he's, he's had enough, he's downcast, and he's despondent. Why? because he thinks he's on his own. He's just done this thing. The prophets of Baal are, you know, slashing themselves and doing all this thing. He's by himself and he feels quite despondent and he goes to Mount Sinai again. Why, what is he doing? What he's doing there is he's gone to start again. It's failed. He's by himself and he's come to God to Sinai to start again. And you might remember the whole series of happens that God was not in the 
Remember the first one? Anyone remember? Wind. Yes, I know a lot about wind. 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 God was not in the wind. God was not in the earthquake and fire. That's right. Those three, it says God. But before we get to that, he is asked, Elijah, what are you doing here? In chapter 19, verse 3, he will again be asked, Elijah, what are you doing here? The reason why that's asked, the, the last one, and it's the one that everyone loves because they love the idea of the still, small voice. I'm sorry to say that's an error in translation. It's an unusual word, it's a strange word, and everyone struggled to translate it. But the NRSV has got it right. Sheer silence. God was not in the wind, not in the fire, not in the earthquake, and he was nothing. There was nothing more to be said. Elijah, what are you doing here? There is nothing more to do. I have how many? How many people do I have? Do you remember? 7,000. 7,000 who haven't bowed. That's the whole point of that. Elijah just said the start. Moses started at Mount Sinai. So Elijah comes back to start and God says, no, I have it in hand. 7,000. So when we come here to this episode, that will actually trigger for us, are we here to start again? And the answer is the one who has come to lead a new era is here to start again. So Jesus is seen here as Israel, but he's also seen like Moses. He's also looking like Elijah. And you will find, you'll remember another place where Jesus ends up with Moses and Elijah in Matthew's Gospel, but we'll leave that for another time. The first, the wilderness testings. The testings are a challenge to Jesus' call, which you've just seen him given at his baptism. He is to be God's son. He is God's son. He is the Messiah. He's the one that the Spirit has been given to. And the aim of this test is to make Jesus abandon his mission, abandon his calling as the servant, as the son of David. Keith, why do you say testing and not temptation? Again, that's my preference. I think it's a better translation because the temptation involves an inner struggle within us. That's actually not what's happening here. What's happening here is an external conflict. Jesus is being tested by the external things that are happening, not the internal conflicts. Testing, the word, allows for the external conflict, but it also allows for and doesn't diminish the internal strain, which is different, but still internal and still felt. Verses 1 to 4. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tested by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, 
but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's a very important little word there right at the start, then. It's, what we, it's a very connecting word and it connects, cut out that heading, it's a really strong connection to what has happened. Jesus is baptised with the Spirit, the Spirit comes upon him and the immediate thing he does is go into the desert, into the wilderness to be tempted. The Spirit has come to equip him for his ministry as the servant and his ministry starts right here. It's the Spirit that takes Jesus into the desert. Isaiah chapter 40 is something we loved from last week where it says the voice of the wilderness makes straight. Remember what that was? The, the highway. I love the idea about the highway and the super highway. Remember the mountains shall be made low and the valleys shall be filled with something. Filled, uh, make, yeah, that's it, uh, made that way. Um, that comes, Israel's salvation comes from the wilderness, comes from the desert. So it's not an accident that we're here. Jesus is embarking on what Matthew, I would suggest, wants us to see as an apocalyptic battle. It's not a battle between equals. I say that again, it's not a battle between equals. Uh, sometimes when you hear people talk about Spiritual warfare is the term they like to say. You start to get the feeling it is between equals. That's not the case, and that's not the case here. It, nevertheless, this is a cosmic battle. It's a war fought, we might say, in heaven, in earthly events, in ordinary earthly events, although I don't think this seems too ordinary. The battle would continue and it will take Jesus all the way to the cross. Jesus takes this move intentionally to be here. He submits to the word of God, he says, for life is not just about the purely material things you can have. And so in the first testing, Jesus has not eaten for that 40 days. So in verse 2, there's that, that's going to put a strain on you. He is very hungry. The devil, which we call the tester, seizes the opportunity. He's always working, the devil, through the ordinary things in life, which we'll see in Matthew. And here he does again. And Matthew tells us the, this episode as though we're there. If you read it, it's a very direct method as you read. You feel like you're involved and in the conversation or listening to the conversation. And so the devil's hypothetical is, if you are the son of God, do this, demonstrate who you are. Jesus is being asked to demonstrate his newly designated status, as we just saw, as son of God. And so the devil asks him to change bread, uh, stones to bread, not rock cakes. I thought I'd make that joke. I didn't do that at Wentworth Falls. Anyway, sorry about that. Not rock cakes. I've had a few. I've broken a tooth on the one. He wants to change stones to bread. And what does that remind you of? If you think in a typology way of something from the past, Jesus has... 
God, of course, providing manna. Here we are in the desert. So it reminds you of that. Jesus replies, it is written, quite formal reply, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. <clears throat> Jesus refuses to use his own power to defeat Satan. Instead, he takes up the sword of the spirit, God's word, to defeat Satan. And he quotes Deuteronomy chapter 8 directly quoting God's word. And so we see that Jesus sets the pattern. His life and ministry will be shaped by God's word, God's promises alone. In the second testing, he is transferred to the pinnacle of the temple. And notice the step upwards from down here on the wilderness to the temple. Keep noticing. The devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that they will not strike your feet against a stone. Jesus answered, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. The tester has taken to heart, notice, how Jesus has responded. He said he lives by God's word alone, so what does Satan do? He takes scripture, twists it, and gives it back to him, and even uses, it is written. He quotes Psalm 91, and he says, cast yourself down. So Jesus quotes scripture back. Deuteronomy 6.16, and he refuses this public spectacle of his power. It would be wrong of him, he says, to put God to the test. He would be acting on his own. As we said, Jesus' public acts are all in accordance, and Matthew keeps telling you this was to fulfill and keeps you wanting to see it, that Jesus' acts are in accordance with what God has told him to do, God's word. The third and last testing has an echo of Moses. If you go to Deuteronomy chapter 34, Mount Pisgah, which is a, a mount which you, not many people remember, and I don't think I remembered until I looked at this, was where Moses was taken to survey the promised land. The Lord said, here it is. Have a look at it. And this directly contrasts with that. This time the devil takes him to a mountain. Remember, we're going up. He's taken him up. He shows him all the world powers which Jesus could have. How does he get them? Verse 8. The devil took him to a high mountain, very high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Verse 11, the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. If you go to the end of Matthew's gospel, chapter 28, which not the first time I referred to that end, I keep wanting to go to the end. It's silly me, isn't it? 
you go to the end, you'll see on Mount, uh, verse 16, Jesus declares on the world mountain, you'll see it there, that he has received all authority and power. Remember, and then he tells them to what we call the Great Commission. Satan's temptation is to do that now. Do not do this ministry, but to get it now. It belongs to you. Take it now. In Daniel, the apocalyptic view that he had saw the world's kingdom in a very different way that we shown here. Do you remember how Daniel's prophecy looked at kingdoms? How did they how did he speak of them? That was a question, sorry. What was that, sorry? As a man, yeah. Are they nice men? Is it a nice man? Oh, the bronze, yep. So it's like an idol, clay, so it's clay, not, not too splendid by the time you get to the end. But in other ways, he speaks of the, the kingdoms of the world are bloodthirsty, hungry to devour, and beasts. Here, Satan's view is different. He has a view from the outside, not as they really are. Remember the apocalyptic view. What does apocalypse mean? It means to reveal. Reveal. And so it revealed what they are really like. Here, from the outside, Satan shows them their so-called glory and how great they impressive they look in all their pomp. Don't you love the word pomp? The test comes in the fact that the devil will give it all to Jesus if you fall down and worship me. As we said, Jesus will receive all authority in Daniel 7 and also he will say so in Matthew chapter 28 at the end. But here he is tempted, tested, to take it too early, avoiding the cross, avoiding all the ministry, and getting it from the wrong person. Jesus' dismissal is dramatic and forthright. Away from me, Satan. It's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And when Satan leaves him, that divine protection he said would come to him if he cast himself off the temple comes in verse 11 when Jesus is served by angels which is an interesting verse in itself. Secondly, we see that he finds himself in Galilee in verses 12 to 25. We're brought into the public ministry of Jesus and that once distant character. Remember how Jesus has been slightly distant from us. We've been speaking about him. He's coming into focus, but not quite yet. We've got one final piece. At the end of this scene, like John, Jesus announces the kingdom of God is near. We will see Jesus as the servant son and he departs for Galilee. Why? Because, again, he's fulfilling scripture. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee, leaving Nazareth. He went and lived in Capernaum which was by the lake in the area of Zebulon and Naphtali to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. 
land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of God has come near. Jesus departs for Galilee because John the Baptist is arrested. We're not really sure why, but he does. As one finishes, Jesus starts. We know that the voice in the desert has been removed. Now the one who will lead them out of the desert has come. But there's another change of place, Galilee, more precisely, Capernaum, to fulfill Isaiah chapter 4, verse 14. The scriptures are the guide for Jesus, and again here Matthew makes sure we see that, that when Jesus relocates himself, he does it because the scriptures say so. It puts him in the Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness, have seen a great light. Those living in the land of shadow of death, a light has dawned. A very important quote. For the shadow of death is long and darkness reigns. The Gentiles are immersed in it. But remember what the promises to Abraham promised, that they too would be brought near to God and God would take them to himself. In darkness now, this light has dawned. Aviv likes taking photos of sunrise. Do you? Does anyone else like the sunrise? Some people like sunsets. Viv likes sunrises, probably because from our bedroom, that's what you can see. Sunrises is a pretty good spot for it. And when some of the pictures you can take are pretty amazing, what happens? The light suddenly dawns out of this darkness. And this light opens up and the different colours that comes. That's what's happening here in the emergence of Jesus. We're set up for the ministry of Jesus. That where there is darkness, Jesus' presence brings hope. Where there is the shadow of death, Jesus will minister and bring life and hope and peace. Death entered our world because of sin. The promises of Abraham, as we said, were to answer this problem. Isaiah had spoken about the shroud of death in Isaiah chapter 25, 6 and 9. That shadow of death shroud will be swallowed up forever. And Matthew is telling us that moment has arrived and is about to dawn not just for Israel, but for the whole world. And that's where I pulled up because I thought if I keep going, I'll wear people out and it's just too long. What are we to say? The devil has tested Jesus with the promises to ease his anxieties, the anxieties that are caused by being human, with food, with the protection from harm, to receive status and glory and power. And like the deceptive tempter, or tester, 
these things lie. The only ultimate answer to human darkness is the Lord Jesus himself. The only answer to the shroud of death is the life in the resurrection from the dead. Daniel chapter 12 would bring would say that God's kingdom would arise eternally and that that is the answer to life's darkness. Jesus' ministry, as we said, ends in chapter 28, Matthew 28. I love that chapter, don't I? When he stands on the world mountain, <clears throat> when all the powers have been given to him and this message of hope and light would raise the dead to life and go to the world and bring them all to Jesus. This message of hope and life breaks apart the bondage that holds us all, sin and death. Jesus' hope and life raises us to a new life in Christ our Saviour by the Spirit as we trust in the Word of God as we live. We rely on this word just as Jesus did. We treasure it, know it, seek to understand it. And his spirit, as he leads us on, empowers our lives by his word through his spirit to live in a way that pleases him, to lead others to this out of darkness into light, joining with what God is already doing. As I said, when Elijah got to the mountain and he said, I need to start again, I don't know what I'm going to do, God said, I got it covered. There are 7,000. When we got kicked out of China as missionaries, we went, <clears throat> what will happen to China in the Christian message? And when it opened up again, there were thousands upon thousands upon thousands perhaps millions of people who knew about Jesus, so, so, so many more than we could have ever thought would have happened. Why? Because God by his spirit is proclaiming his message in the world. He's proclaiming his goodness and love and declaring that this light has dawned. And that spirit, the spirit of the living God, is doing his work in us and in our world. His eternal kingdom has come in his name and Matthew 28 is true. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, says Jesus. Forgiveness, reconciliation, another Asian, justification, no more Asians, glory, life, eternal hope in the resurrected Lord, doing its work, doing his work in our world and in us. A great light, let us rejoice in him. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we pray that um, <clears throat> as we think about these things, we pray we would be encouraged. Help us. We realise as we look around our world, we're not always sure we are encouraged. Lots of things are happening, and, and lots of things are happening in our own lives. We are tested, and we are tempted to do all sorts of things. 
But Lord, we pray that just as Jesus has shown us, we would trust in you. We would follow you in all things. That whatever is happening in our world, whatever is happening with us in this world, that, Lord, we might always cling to your promises and to your word. By your spirit, lead us, empower us, encourage us, grow us in our knowledge of your love and goodness. In all, in our Lord Jesus' name we pray. Amen.